Hey, I want you guys to say hi. Say hello to my little friend. Say what's up to Juan. Hello. So, uh, so what's up, Juan? Nothing much. All right. Just so uh, this is my friend Juan. Juan uh, has been hanging out with us for a couple of a few months now, playing guitar on the worship team. Um, really great guy. Uh, he and I actually got a chance to have lunch and kind of hang out a couple of weeks ago. Got to know him a little bit better. Um, so I wanted you guys to get to know him just a little bit. Uh, so Juan, where'd you grow up? Yes, uh, I grew up in Oxnard. Okay. Anybody point. here from Oxnard? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you grew up in Oxnard. What what high school did you go to? I went to Oxnard High School. Okay. All right. Yeah. Went to Oxnard High School. Yeah. Um, now you play a little bit of music. You obviously play guitar because you've been yeah. playing that here. And yeah. Do you play anything else? Um, no, just guitar and I sing a little bit and a little bit of piano. Okay. I like to write songs as well. How long have you been playing guitar? Uh, I've been playing for about like six years now. Okay. Yeah. And is it well. kind of a hobby or is it like a passion? Oh, it's definitely a passion, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What got you started in guitar? Um, honestly, my dad was a musician and just seeing him play inspired me to do the same. Okay, yeah. so you took up guitar about six years ago. Who taught you? Um, I actually got, like, random lessons from, like, random guitar shops. Like, uh, there was one guitar shop that closed down, like, years ago. That's where I got my first lessons. It was, like, American Music. I don't know Yeah. you guys heard of that. Yeah. I mean, it's gone now, but... <laughs> and you've been playing guitar for six years now. Um, you were telling me that you've got an audition coming up. Tell us a little yeah. bit about what that's all about. Um, well, I have an audition with Biola University. Um, to go into their music and worship program. And so, yeah, I've just been getting ready for that. Uh, I feel like the Lord has led me to use my talents to um, worship Him and lead others into worship. So I'm going in for that. Okay. So you've got an audition coming up when? Uh, this Friday. This Friday. Yeah. Okay. So it's a pretty big deal. Like, you've got to go before how many people? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. But there's yeah. going to be people that are literally critiquing everything that you do. Oh, to... yeah. Yeah. It's just one instructor for the guitar and the same thing for music and worship. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so I had asked Juan, you guys tell me if you guys are cool with this, but I had actually asked Juan if he would play one of the pieces that he's doing for his audition. You guys want to hear Juan play some guitar? Yeah. All right. All right. So, so Juan's going to sit down. He's going to sit down right here and he's going to play a little guitar for us. And, um, you're going to see just the kind of the kind of gift that God's given this young man to play guitar. So, anyway, let's uh let's give Juan a hand here.
stuff. You know? That's good stuff. So hey, Juan's going to be sticking around and spending some time with us. Um, he's not just a musician, but he's just a good, just a good godly guy, just a, a, a regular guy, but um, a guy that wants to live his life to please and glorify and honor God. Um, and so he's going to be one of our kind of official leaders. And so if you ever need prayer, if you ever need to talk to somebody about something, um, then Juan's another guy that you can go to and kind of seek godly counsel and advice and, and uh, seek out prayer, and he'd be happy to pray with you. So anyway, just wanted to introduce you guys to him. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to be uh, resuming a series that we started last week. We're talking about relationships, but not just guy-girl relationships, um, but we're also talking about just friend relationships and family relationships and job relationships, school relationships, just all the different ways that we interact with people. And in a few minutes, I'm going to take your questions. We're going to give you an opportunity to text your questions in. But before we do that, I want you guys to watch our good friend Jordan as he shares some of his perspective uh, about relationships. So check this out. You know what drives me crazy? PDA, which usually means public display of affection, but let's be honest, it really means public display for attention. The first form of PDA that we need to talk about is public display of awkward, because we all know this couple. We're dating. We're in love. We're a couple. Nothing to see here except that we're dating. These couples want everyone to know that they're in love because that somehow validates them and makes the rest of us very, very uncomfortable. Hey, could you guys tone down the affection just a little bit while you're in public? You're kind of making some people at this party uncomfortable, myself included. They're just jealous and throwing a fit, baby. No, they're just throwing up. Or how about public displays of, oh, you are so pretty. This is when a girl posts a picture of herself online in some allegedly cute pose and then all the other girls are like, oh my gosh, girl, you are so gorgeous. Wow, when did this website turn into some vain confidence booster? It never fails. Whenever a girl posts a selfie, all girls on the internet flock to it. I'm decently convinced that they only do it because they know at one point they're going to need a confidence boost. I am so ugly. Please, somebody refute my self-image before it turns into passive aggression. And then there's public displays of arrogance. When some guy or girl two weeks into a relationship posts something like this online. Hey, I just wanted to inform everybody that my girlfriend is the best girlfriend, and I know that you think that your girlfriend is the best girlfriend, but you're wrong. Mine is. You're a sucker. And sometimes he gives a reason for why his girlfriend is the best, but it's normally just because she watches some stupid TV show with him or, or plays video games. That does not constitute best girlfriend. That constitutes PDA. And this one kind of goes along with it, but we should categorize it as public display of acquaintance. Kind of running out of words that start with A. Oh my gosh, so-and-so is my best friend. I am so blessed by them. Cool, you have a best friend. Why do I need to hear about it all the time? Trying to prove to everyone all the time that your best friends just makes me kind of question if the whole thing's legit. You're my bestie. No, you're my bestie. Dude, we're totally best friends. Everyone, we're best friends. You know, when it comes down to it, if something is true or real or just is, then why do you need to go around trying to prove it all the time? Just please let it be. But no, anytime anything happens, you have to pull out your phone, get on your laptop, or make some large proclamation that whatever just happened to you is real so that everybody knows it. Because self-serving 21st century Americans that we are, if something happens in real life, 
You better believe that it's a complete waste of reality if I don't get some validation from it. I sure hope that I don't show a public display of aggravation when I describe this generation to my future grandchildren. <laughs> Okay, so some of us agree with some of the stuff that he says, some of us disagree, some of us get feeling really guilty and convicted when we hear some of what he says. Some of us instantly think of people at school that represent what he just said. Um, but this is what I want you guys to do uh, as we continue kind of talking about just different kinds of relationships. Last week, we put up on the screen an opportunity for you to text in questions, and it's anonymous. Um, there's no way for me to track like who sent what question or whatever. But if you have a phone, and it's fine if you don't, but if you have a phone, then get it out, and we're going to give you an opportunity to ask questions about relationships, friends, family, uh, romantic relationships of all shapes and sizes. You can ask your questions. I'm going to spend the next just few minutes. We're not going to spend all night doing this, but the next five or ten minutes answering some of these questions as quickly as we can. Some of them we can't get to, but we'll get to as many as we can. So go ahead and put that slide up if you would. So these are some of the questions uh, that got asked. I think there's a part of that question. Okay. Um, I think there's a part of that top question that's missing. There you go. Okay. So this is how you do it. You get out your phone and you, uh, you, you're going to text it to the number 22333. And then in the, in, the, uh, in the field where you're typing your question, first type 423483 and then type your question and it'll come up on the screen. Um, Sean back there has the ability to kind of moderate to make sure that nobody's putting stupid stuff up there. So anyway, so if you're just going to waste everyone's time, he'll just click it and it won't come up. Sorry. Um, so anyway, so send in your questions. We'll talk about them. So let me start with this one here. Is it weird that I, I uh, haven't had a boyfriend or my first kiss yet? Um, I, I'm going to say no. I mean, I don't even know how old you are. Um, I mean, if it's, you know, someone in here that's already married, then that's a little weird. Um, but we've only got a few of those. I'm assuming it's a student. And I'm going to say no, because here's the reality. This is what we unfortunately do, is we have a tendency to look around <coughs> at the people around us to help decide what we ought to do. Well, gosh, everyone else is doing it. Everyone else has already done it. All of my friends have, all of them, all of this, all of that. And really, like, does that really determine what's right for you? I don't think it does. Um, so I think that you get to make decisions. I think you get the opportunity to pray about it, talk to, if you have parents at home that you can talk to about it, if you have good friends or people here that you can talk to about it, then get some counsel, get some advice. Say, hey, I'm feeling left out because everyone else seems to be experiencing this and I feel like I'm missing out. Talk to somebody about that and let them give you some encouragement that, hey, you don't have to take your cues from what the rest of culture is doing. Does that make sense? That's just my thought. Um, okay, is it possible to want to go on a date with someone without actually liking them? Okay, thoughts? Is it okay to go on just like a friend date? Okay. How many say, and we, don't, we won't put this up on the poll, but how many of you say, yes, it's okay to go out on a friend date? How many of you say, no, it's not okay? Okay, let me say this. I think it's perfectly fine for a guy and a girl to go out and spend some time to get together. Otherwise, like guys, we never get to know, we never get to understand how to interact with a girl if we don't do it in kind of a friend setting. So I think it's a great way to learn to gain confidence, to talk to a girl and girls, to learn confidence, to be able to interact with a guy. I think that's fine. Here's the, the deal, though. And, and you guys tell me if I'm on the right track. A lot of times when that happens, one person is very confused. Like, what does this mean? 
are we together? Does he like me? Does she like me? I don't know. We're hanging out, but we're not really together. But I, I don't know. So you have to be sure that you're communicating and that you're clarifying. What did you say last week, Emily? Define the relationship, right? If it's just friends, then make sure that you're defining that and you're not letting it go that direction. And then you're like, no, 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 we're just friends. But you let that person kind of get strung along thinking that it was more than that. So be honest with each other. Be clear. Any other thoughts on that? All right. Um, I'm going to lob a couple of these at you guys. Um, should dating be for the sole purpose of marriage? Before you approve any other questions, Sean, leave that one up there for a minute, and then we'll approve some. <laughs> Sean, you're doing a bang-up job back there moderating our conversation. You're terrible at this. <laughs> All right. Should dating be for the sole purpose of marriage? That's a great question. Um, I would love to hear some responses on that. Thoughts? I'll come down to the audience here a little bit. What do you guys think? Yes? No? A matter of opinion. Okay. Any other thought? Any thoughts? Okay. Show of hands. How many would say dating is for the express purpose of finding an appropriate marriage partner? Yes. Raise your hand. And how many of you would say, no, not necessarily? How many of you would say, I don't know? How many of you don't want to raise your hands? Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Anybody want to share? Any, anybody want to weigh in on that and share an opinion? Anybody want to weigh in on that question? It's an important question. Is dating just for finding a, a, a spouse? No, 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 please. Anybody? Because otherwise, I just end up doing all the talking. You didn't pay good money to come here and hear me talk. Please, Chris. You want to stand? I'm going to take bad for so long as it's um, careful for dating, even though it's not set purposely for marriage. Because like anything else, I think we have to learn, right? And, and so long as we're careful with each other, you can learn a lot about communication. You can learn what's important in a relationship. You might start hanging out with someone and realize uh, there's characteristics that are important to you that you didn't realize before. And so long as you're very careful to maybe end those relationships before your heart's really engaged or before it confuses the other person, um, I think for I, I think it could be a great learning situation. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, I would tend to agree with that. There are those probably in this room that would say, no, like there's really no reason to date unless you think that this person is, is really, you know, potential marriage, you know, marriage potential, which as a freshman, sophomore, junior, you may not know yet, but at least you look at them and say, I, I think they could be. Um, there are others who, who would say, no, I mean, it's, it's perfectly good. There's other people who are way on the other side who are like, Dude, who cares about marriage? That's like when I'm 30. Like right now, shouldn't I just, you know, find somebody that I like and, and hang out with them? Like what's wrong with that? And I, I agree. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I do think, like Chris said, that we have to be a little bit cautious to kind of guard our own heart and guard the other person's heart. Because as you kind of progress in that relationship, the risk of you getting your heart broken, the risk of them getting their heart broken um, becomes more and more real the longer and longer you're in that relationship. The other thing I would say is this is that you ought to be looking for people to date that have marriage material characteristics. In other words, if you see that person, you just know, oh my gosh, I would never want to be married to somebody like that. But dude, we can date. Eh. 
like probably you're going to end up, either you're going to get hurt or they're going to get hurt or it's just going to end badly. Because if you're looking at them and they don't have the right kind of character traits and integrity that would make the marriage material, then why do you want to invest in that relationship romantically? Um, so I think we need to be, like Chris said, learning about what we're looking for, learning how to interact, learning how to communicate, but doing it in such a way that we protect ourselves and protect others um, from getting hurt in the process. Um, so, okay, often we ask how far is too far, but that is only a human view of boundaries. To God, how far is too far or displeasing to him? Mm. Good question. So I think we're talking about physical intimacy is typically what we mean when we're talking about that. So, so what is too far kind of emotionally for a relationship? What is too far physically in a relationship? Um, so let's, let's hear some thoughts on that. I don't want to just be the only one up here talking. What do you guys think? What, how far is too far in a relationship? Does it depend? What does it depend on? Marriage. Marriage is too far? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> And all the single people said? To what? Okay, so Logan is saying that sex, the actual act of sexual intercourse, um, ought to be reserved for within a, the, within a, a marriage relationship. Okay? Okay, what if you hold his hand and he's already like, oh, dang, <laughs> it's on. <laughs> I wasn't like that, I'm just saying. My poor wife, <laughs> she can't even walk in the room. <laughs> All right, we're serious now. Okay. So, the statement was, anything that turns the other person on, right, and kind of like drives the sexual engine, anything that kind of turns that on ought to be avoided because it just, what, it ends up leading that way, or you end up having to put the brakes on and they're frustrated, right, is kind of what ends up happening. Okay. Other thoughts? Is that how we define it? Other thoughts? Jackson. Okay, so rather than trying to get as close to the line as we can. Yeah, so if it's like, if not like a gray area for you or the other person, like, then it's better to just not do it because it could end up hurting both of you. Okay, somebody else over here had a, had a hand up? You forget what you're saying? Anything else? Okay. Um, we'll approve some more questions in just a second, but let me go ahead and, and, uh, and give my, my response to that. Um, I think that we all have to recognize, and particularly you guys as teenagers, um, that you, all of us, were created as sexual beings. In other words, we have the anatomy and the physiology and the biology um, and the, the chemicals coursing through our bodies that... That, that function in a sexual way. So we just have to be honest about that. We have to be honest that we were created as sexual beings, that God created sex, and he created us as sexual beings. And there's a reason for that, because if he didn't create us as sexual beings, if he didn't give us sex drive, then probably the human race would not have survived. There's an important function to the sex drive in terms of procreation, in terms of, um, in terms of reproducing, but also in terms of intimacy. We were created with that sexual capacity for the purpose of intimacy 
intimacy between a man and a woman. And the reality is, is that that level of intimacy that occurs within the sexual relationship is so deep and so significant and so meaningful that to do that over and over with a variety of different people degrades your ability to experience true intimacy in relationships. And so the idea that you might have multiple sexual partners throughout the course of your life, maybe monogamous, you know, for a month and then moving on to someone else, then moving on to someone else throughout college, and then eventually you'll settle down, marry somebody, fall deeply in love, well, fall deeply in love, then get married, um, and have a, a deeply intimate, trusting relationship is much more difficult to achieve when you have had all of these sexual partners throughout the course of your life. And so that's one of the reasons that particularly within the church, we encourage, um, we encourage you to wait, not just because God's up in heaven going, ew, that's gross. How can you do that? That's so dirty. God created it. He understands it. He created you that way with those kinds of urges and desires because there's a purpose behind it, procreation, but also for the purpose of intimacy within the marital relationship. And unfortunately, we end up degrading the beauty of that intimacy um, if, we, if we use those things out of context, outside uh, of a marriage relationship. And you can argue that all you want. You can say that's outdated. That's the Bible, which was written millions of years ago. Whatever you want to say to argue that. Um, but but it, it's, it's true and it's real. And people have been discovering that truth for centuries. Um, that that really is true. That there is a greater degree of intimacy that can be achieved later on in your relationships um, when, you, when you forego that, that kind of like serial relationships throughout the course of your, your childhood and adulthood. Um, anyway, so how does that answer the question? This is how I would answer that question. If this is the line um, and we say that anything on that side is bad and anything on this side is okay and we're trying to decide, you know, is holding hands on this side or that side? Is kissing on that side or this side? How about like really, really kissing? Like that side, this side. How about like making out in the back of the car? That side, this side. Like we're trying to define like all of those first base, second base, third base. Like where do those things go as it relates to those lines? And I think that you really have a, a tremendous responsibility to identify in your life where those things fall. Because for some of us, I know for a guy that was a leader, uh, a camp leader for me when I was a kid, told us that he was engaged and he'd never kissed his girlfriend. He was engaged to be married and he had never kissed his girlfriend. For him, kissing was on that side of the line. It's not for everybody, and I would never say that it should be for everyone, but for him, it was on that side of the line. And he wanted to make sure that if he did get a little close to that line, that he was still pretty darn far from the things that would really get him into trouble. So for he and his fiance, they just decided kissing was on that side of the line. You've got to make some of those decisions for yourselves. I definitely think that anything that has to do with sexual contact, whether that is hand to genital, um, mouth to genital, genital to genital, um, anything that involves, and this is going to sound like ridiculously preschoolish, but anything that involves your private areas, whatever, like, I'm just going to say it that way, because otherwise I'm talking about boobies and peepees, so <laughs> I'd rather just say it that way. Say it anyway. <laughs> but just so you know. Anything that involves those areas of your body are, are, in my mind, crossing that line and getting dangerously close to putting us in an area um, that, that, is, that is sin. Um, and so I think that we have to be really careful. So again, for some of us, that may mean holding hands is okay. For some of us, that may mean that kissing is okay. But, but the really, really kissing stuff, nope, I'm going to kind of set that aside. And I think you need to make some of those decisions prayerfully, and I think you need to consult some of the leaders that you have in your life. Leaders here, family members at home and make some good, wise decisions related to that. Fair enough? 
I mean, that's not a complete answer, but that's the best answer I can give. So approve some of those other questions. We'll just race through like a couple more really quick. So is it okay to have sex or oral sex while dating? Again, I would argue that no. Biblically, um, we are called to, um, to a higher uh, sexual standard um, and that sex was created originally between a husband and a wife just because it's best that way. It works best physically and it works best in terms of intimacy and relationship. Um, it works best and it honors and glorifies God. Why do some guys always want sex? Um, because guys have a very active sex drive, and that's just the way that, that, that the male body was created. That's not to say that females weren't created that way, but typically at this age, a lot of testosterone coursing through the body, and it's just causing guys to want to kind of react that way. Some guys have a better handle on it. Some guys don't. Um, but uh, girls, you need to be really careful that you're not encouraging that. How is it that you are encouraging that with what you wear and how you act and how you talk and the jokes that you make? Are you encouraging that or are you discouraging that? Um, okay. Uh, if I told my parents I was going to wait till marriage, but then decided to have sex in high school, how should I tell them? I, I don't know. I mean, I just I, I don't I don't know quite how to answer that. I think that honesty within the family relationship is hugely important. So I think if you're thinking about that decision, that you really ought to be talking to a parent and probably grab one of the leaders here and ask if you can talk to them. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to criticize you. We're not going to wag our finger at you. Um, but we'd love to be able to to offer you some perspective and some prayer and some biblical advice as you're making that decision. So one of us um, and and a parent, you really ought to be having that conversation, not just one of your friends. Um, because again, sometimes peer to peer, um, you're not getting that like a few years older kind of experience and wisdom that you might get from one of the leaders here. So I would encourage that. Fair. Um, I've been called a prude before in the past relationships. Is it a bad thing that I'm not comfortable with certain things physically? What do you guys think? No, it's not a bad thing. How many of you would say, yes, it's a bad thing. Loosen up. Okay. Nobody would say it at church. Okay. Um, no, and, and here's one of the realities, guys. There is so much pressure on you guys. Whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're waiting to date until you're older, there is so much pressure on you. And some of you really feel it. Some of it you don't feel quite so much yet. But there's so much pressure because everyone's talking about who they're going to go to the dance with and who they're together with and who they messed around with and who they like and who did this and who did that. And it's just all around you. And so you have to have to develop the ability, and hear me on this, the ability to say, I don't have to do what everybody else is doing. And it sounds so cliche, but just please, you don't have to do what everybody else is doing. And so somebody's going to call you a prude because you're not willing to do certain things physically. Good. Everybody else is doing it and you're not. Good. Finally, somebody that has the guts to stand on some conviction and say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not that way. Good for you. Um, and so if you don't get encouraged in that anywhere else, I applaud you and say, good, um, please continue in those standards. Fair enough? Okay. Um, all right. This is, uh, this is what I'm going to do. Some great stuff up here. I um, actually have the ability to respond to these uh, privately. I don't know who they're re being, like, I don't know who I'm responding to, but I have the ability to respond to these. So I'll try to respond to some of these in the next week. Um, just individually and send you some responses back. I won't know it's going to you, um, but I'll send some responses back. Um, anyway, so let's stop with that. We'll do some more next week. Uh, you can write that number down, and you can send texts to that all throughout the week, um, and I'll try to get back to you. All right. Now that I've talked a whole lot, I'm going to talk a whole lot.
Um, so let's do this. I'm actually not going to talk a whole lot. There's like one key point that I want to share with you tonight. But let's do this because you've been sitting here listening to me talk for too long. So stretch. Just relax. Stretch for a second. Say what's up to the person next to you. Just like stand up if you need to. Change chairs. High five. Go give somebody a hug. Deep knee lunges. Stick around in here though. Don't, you, don't leave yet because we've got a little bit more to do, so stick around in here. If you haven't said hi to my friend Grandpa Roy over here, you can come over and say hi to Grandpa Roy. A good guy over there, another good guy that you can get some good godly advice from. Hey, wait, Eric, stand up really fast. Everybody turn to your right and say, Eric, nice sweater. Dude, I like that. I am digging that. All right. All right, hang with me, guys. After this, we're going to spend a little bit more time uh, worshiping God and music, and then we're going to go have some cupcakes. Yeah, baby. All right. In that order. All right. All right, I've got to zip through this. I've got one main point that I'm going to try to make to you tonight, but I want to make sure that it's clear. Because sometimes I use metaphorical language, um, and to me it like makes sense. I'm like, oh, yeah, I get how to apply that to my life. Um, and for other people, they're like, wait, what? So I'm going to try to make sure that it makes sense to everybody and that you walk out of here maybe being able to think a little bit differently or kind of being empowered to think a little bit differently about uh, some things this evening. So here we go. Uh, Last week, I promised you that I was going to share with you the single most significant and trustworthy relationship advice available anywhere, and I feel like I did. I gave you Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, which simply said this, um, if you can go to that next slide, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And to me, that right there will guide you in every single different kind of relationship you have. At home with family members, um, at school, with friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, all that stuff. If you can remember that, love the Lord your God. Honor Him with everything that you say, everything that you think, everything that you do, even physically in a relationship. How am I honoring God and loving God with the things that I'm saying and the things that I'm doing in this relationship? And how am I loving that person the way that I love myself? How am I loving that person the way that God loves them? And would God take advantage of them this way? Would God criticize them this way? Would God say those hurtful things about them? If God wouldn't, then I don't have any business doing it either. So we use that verse as kind of our guidance for all of our relationships. And so tonight, we're going to look at a really old story, um, thousands of years old. We're going to look at a really, really old story. And it's a story out of the book of Genesis. And it's a story that I think has very profound and relevant lessons for all of us on how we live in 2013. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn in that Bible to the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. If you don't have one, there's some tucked underneath the seats. If you don't own a Bible, you can either download a Bible app on the app store if you have a smartphone, or you can take this Bible home. Honestly, reach underneath, pull it out. You can take that Bible home, and that can be our gift to you. If it's kind of messed up, we'll give you a new one. Just come see me afterwards. Genesis chapter 25. The book of Genesis chapter 25. The book of Genesis is the story of the beginning, of the beginning things. And so in that, we read the creation account. We also read about some of the early 
kind of characters in Scripture and some of the things that they said and did. So Genesis chapter 25. Everybody got it? Yeah. Okay. We're going to start in verse 24. So 25, 24. Got it? All right. So just so you know, we're reading about, if you're familiar with a guy named Abraham, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac got married to Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah finally got pregnant. I won't tell you how. That's for a different day. Uh, but they had sex. Um, sorry if I ruined the illusion. Yes, no immaculate conception other than Jesus. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 24. Isaac and Rebekah um, were pregnant. Well, she was pregnant. And then here we go in verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. <laughs> Every time I read that, like a little chia pet popping out, just all like furry. I know. Anyway, he was. He was, he was a hairy baby, and he grew up hairy, and he just had kind of reddish skin. Okay? So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, literally grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old. Go, Isaac. When Rebecca gave birth to them. I have so many jokes running through my head. <laughs> All right, nope, not going to say any of them, but here's where we get interesting. Here's where it gets really interesting, and I want you to hear this. When the boys, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, that's the dad, loved Esau, but Rebekah, the mom, loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. What does famished mean? right? Super hungry. So he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that stew. I'm famished. And Jacob replied in verse 31, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew He ate and drank and then got up and left. And so Esau despised or gave up his birthright. Okay, let me just make some sense out of this. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Now let me explain to you what a birthright meant. In a family of this time, they were patriarchal families. And so when the father died, his inheritance, his patriarchal responsibilities and duties, um, everything that the father owned got passed on to who? The firstborn son, the oldest son, which was Esau. So Esau's birthright represented his inheritance, his future, his role within the family, his patriarchal future. It represented his financial future. It represented his role of kind of esteem and, 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 and inside the, the family unit. His birthright was tremendously significant and important. And here we have a moment where Esau was hungry And his hunger was so bad that he said, you know what? Take my birthright. I don't even care right now because I'm so hungry and I just want to eat some food. 
And every time I read this story, every time that I've ever read this story in my life, and I've read it dozens of times, I've thought, what an idiot. Like, what an impetuous, impatient, impulsive fool to give up his birthright for a stupid bowl of soup. And I was reading it the other day, and it hit me. I want you to hear this. We do that all the time. See, any time that we give up what we know is better for whatever it is that we want right now, we pull an Esau. We trade our birthright for soup. Any time that we know what's best and what we ought to do and what we ought to be living for and the way that we ought to be living in a way that glorifies and honors God, and we see that and we go, I know that that's what I ought to do, but this is what I want to do right now because I'm hungry for that, whatever that might be. Any time that we trade God's best in exchange for something that feels good in the moment, and that's all Esau did. He gave up something way better for momentary satisfaction, and we do it all the time. We do it in our relationships. We do it in our academics. We do it in our faith. We do it in our jobs. We do it in our moral standards. In all sorts of different ways, we trade what's best for, for something far less. We settle. Some of you have been in relationships, and you know you've settled. You wanted to hold out for something better, but you just kind of settled because everyone else had a boyfriend or everybody else had a girlfriend, everybody else had a date, and you wanted to, and so you settled. And see, the life that God offers is actually way better than the life that the world offers, and we've been taught the opposite. Let me say that again. The life that God offers us is actually better than the life that the world offers us, but we've bought into the lie. We've been taught the opposite. God offers us the very best and we settle for cheap knockoffs. You ever been to a pawn shop? You ever watched the show Pawn Stars? Yeah. If you ever watch that, you'll see the guys there, and people come in with this magazine that's going to be worth a million dollars, or this gold watch, or this diamond, or this piece of valuable whatever it is, and they're like, oh yeah, this has the original Mickey Mantle like, signature on it, and it's worth you know, $20,000. And one of the guys looks at it and goes, no, it's not. Look this right here, or let me bring in an expert, and the expert goes, nope, this is why it's not real. And the experts know the difference between the real, the authentic, and the knockoffs. See, we do it all the time. We give up the authentic in exchange for a cheap knockoff. We trade love for lust. Girls trade guys with character and integrity for popularity or great abs, or the ability to flatter you and make you feel valuable for a few weeks. Guys trade a girl with standards and personality for a girl with tight pants and a low-cut shirt and the ability to boost your ego. We trade one for the other. We trade brains for a body, honesty for an easy lie, values for a good time, your future for a quick fix, your education for a night out, trust for the cheap thrill of sharing a tasty morsel of gossip your identity in Christ for acceptance among people that you'll never even talk to after high school is over. And yet you trade one for the other. We have to learn to stop and ask ourselves, really? Is it really worth it? Is what I'm giving up potentially really worth what I'm getting? Is that birthright really worth giving up for some soup because I'm hungry? Whatever soup represents in your life? Because otherwise we end up settling for so much less than God wants for us. See, all of us are on a happiness quest. 
Every one of us, that's what we want. We want happiness. And we find it in all kinds of different ways. We're on a happiness quest. Some of us have found it in God. Some of us have found it in sports. Some of us have found it on another person. Some of us have found it in, in, in academic achievement or whatever it is. We've all found happiness a lot of different ways, but we are all on a happiness quest. The problem is that you and I have been lied to about how to get there. See, somewhere we got convinced by the music and the movies and the TV and the people around us that we're missing out, that the Christian life is sad and depressed and full of repressed social outcasts, and that the life that the world out there offers is way better and way more full of good times. The problem is, and hear me when I say this, guys, it's a sham. It's another classic Jacob and Esau moment all over again. See, in the moment, I want the soup because it smells good and it tastes good and it looks good and it's warm and I'm hungry and after all, everyone else is eating it and so I want some. I don't care what I have to give up to get it. I want some because that's what I want right now. But I'm telling you, if it means selling your birthright, hear me when I say it's not worth it. It's like when we reach those moments where we know what we should do, but we know what we want to do. And why is it that what we want to do always wins out over what we know we should do? And it's true for most of us. It's like if we have it on the scales, what I know I ought to do and what I want to do, why is it that what I want to do always seems to win? Why have we become a generation so completely dominated by our feelings and our emotions that, and our desires that we've sort of just taken our hands off the steering wheel and we've just let our feelings take over? Why is it that as a generation, we have at one point driven our own lives and the feelings and the desires and the emotions have gotten so strong, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want, and we've just taken the hands off and let those wants and desires just drive us into destruction. Why did you do that? I don't know. I just felt like it. Why did you say that? I don't know. I just felt like it. <laughs> I guess, um, what? You, you guess what? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, how many times have we answered questions like that? So, so here's my question to you tonight. What does the soup represent in your lives? And I want you to just think about that for a minute. What is the soup? So we're talking about Esau, who gave up his birthright for a stupid bowl of soup. What does that look like in your life? What are the things that you've given up in exchange for this? What does that look like for you? Guys, girls, stupid decisions, drugs, alcohol, gossip, lies, anger, unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness. What is it that you've traded the good stuff for that? What is it in your life that tempts you and lures you with its promise of temporary satisfaction and then leaves you making terrible decisions that damage your life and damage the lives of others? Galatians chapter 5, if you know where that's at in the Bible, let me have you turn there. If you don't know, it's kind of towards the back. You can use the table of contents if you're not super familiar with the Bible. But kind of towards the back, there's a book called the book of Galatians. And it's just a letter that Paul wrote. Noah, can you close that door for me real fast? Just a, a letter that the apostle Paul wrote. And Paul was just one of the, the early leaders in the Christian church. And he wrote a, a book, a letter really to a church in a, uh, in a city. It's called the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. So my question to you is, what is that list for you? What does that soup represent in your life? What are the things that you just want so badly in the moment that you give up what's good for a cheap knockoff? 
And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, we read a list that Paul provides. And it's a pretty, pretty good list. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are pretty obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So that's a pretty good list. That's not a full and complete list, but that's a pretty good list of some of the things that when we want them, we want them now. When I want to feel jealous about her, I just can't stop myself. I just have to feel that way, and I have to act on it. And so I have to say really rude things or say lies or tell gossip about her because I'm just feeling that in the moment. I know what I ought to do, but I know what I feel like doing in that moment. I know I shouldn't let that anger make me say these things or do these things, but, but I just feel so angry, and so I hold on to that anger because that's what feels good in the moment. Guys and girls, relationships, how we're treating each other in those relationships. Well, this is what feels good right now. I know what I'm supposed to do and what I ought to, I know, but this is what I want right now. This is the soup that smells and looks and tastes so good. And Galatians 5, 19 through 21 gives us a pretty good list of some of those things. And I would say to you that that is the counterfeit. That's all the stuff that's just the cheap knockoff for the good stuff. And he goes on to describe the good stuff a couple of verses later. He says this in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So you're going for jealousy and anger and resentment and bitterness. And he's saying, dude, love's so much better. Joy, it's easier to be depressed. It's easier to feel sorry for myself all the time. I'm telling you, it's a cheap knockoff. Joy is so much better. Peace, but I like to stir up conflict. I don't know why, I just, just always want to stir up conflict. I'm telling you, peace is better. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the good stuff. Why are we trading that for the crap we read about a moment ago? I'll tell you why. Because we all struggle. Man, we know what we want to do and we're trying to. We're trying to submit more and more to God, but it's just hard. And that's what Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you because in the book of Romans chapter 7, Paul says this in verse 18. He identifies with our struggle. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, it's the evil that I don't want to do. This is what I keep on doing. He says in verse 21, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my inner being, I, I delight in God's law, but there's this other law at work within me. What a wretched man I am, Paul says. He says, what a wretched... I, I want to do what's right, but I just can't seem to do it. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he answers that question, thanks to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why we come here and we worship and we gather together with each other because if left to ourselves, we will always pursue the cheap knockoffs. We've got to encourage each other. We've got to worship God. We've got to spend time with him in prayer. We've got to spend time with him reading his word because otherwise we go back out to our schools and back out to the world and the cheap knockoffs smell better and look better and sound better and taste better than the good stuff. That's why we need to come together. We need to gather together and encourage each other and find truth here and not truth there. 
Let me going to wrap it up here. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I want to read to you guys one more passage out of Galatians. If you still have your, your finger in the book of Galatians, it's Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and then I'm going to move towards turning it over to these guys in just a sec. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Guys, hear me when I, let me just kind of wrap this up. Your identity is found in Christ. You are a son of God, a daughter of God. And when we forget that, we buy into the lies that we hear. We say, oh man, that looks better. Oh, I want to live like that. And we give up the birthright of being a son and a daughter of the Most High God for a cheap knockoff, for a stupid bowl of soup. My identity is in Christ. I belong to him. And I, for me, just me personally, I desperately want to stop selling my birthright as a son of the most high God for a cheap thrill, for a bowl of soup. And here's the reality, guys. You and I, every single one of us, are one stupid decision away from disaster. Every one of us in this room are one stupid decision away from disaster. And that scares the crap out of me. Because all it would take for me in my life is one stupid decision and I could lose everything. For me, one moment of giving in to sexual temptation outside of my marriage. One moment of anger that causes me to hit my wife or hit one of my children. One angry outburst on the freeway that leaves me cussing out some guy and getting in a fight on the side of the freeway. One moment of me at a fundraiser here at church, taking a $100 bill from someone and saying thank you, putting it in my pocket, finding it at home, and just spending it because we have bills that we need to pay. One stupid decision could cause me to lose everything. For you guys, one sexual encounter away from an unplanned pregnancy or an STD that could stay with you for the rest of your life. One stupid decision. One destructive relationship away from a pattern of destructive relationships that might follow you for the next 10 years of your life. One angry outburst away from damaging your family. One hurtful word away from causing unimaginable pain in the life and heart of someone else that you don't even recognize. One hit away from spending a night in juvie and seeing the course of your life start to go that way instead of that way. One lie or bit of gossip away from losing a friendship. One stupid moment away from destroying your reputation and your integrity. One drink away from getting behind the wheel and wrapping your car around a telephone pole and possibly taking somebody with you. Guys, don't sell your birthright for a stupid bowl of soup for something that satisfies for the moment and then it's gone. It's not worth it. God's got a better way. And I want to close with this thought. A friend of mine named Aaron Kajumba posted this on Instagram the other day and I, I wanted to put it up there. It's just a friend of mine. He said this. 
He said, underlying most individual struggles in life is the issues of their identity. The fundamental problem we have in this world is that we don't understand who we truly are, children of God, made in his image, and yet we tend to define ourselves by any number of things other than Jesus. Who you are in Christ determines what you do. So it goes back to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. My identity is in Christ. I belong to him, and I'm not going to sell my birthright for anything this world has to offer. If you're with me, I'm going to invite you to please stand. Just in this room, go ahead and stand if you would. Everybody go ahead and stand up. And I want to pray. Because all of this kind of a, this hits us a little bit differently. So I'm just going to pray that God makes this real and tangible and applicable in your life. And then we're going to spend a few moments pray, uh, praising God through song. So God, I lift up everybody in this room, myself included, Lord, because every single one of us are one stupid decision away from disaster. Every leader, every student, one decision, one thing, one word, one choice could change everything. And God, that scares us. But God, your word says that we don't have to walk in fear. You haven't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So Lord, would you convince us of who we are in Christ? That our identity would be found in you. That when the lies of the world come at us, we wouldn't have a problem resisting. We'd look at it like we look at Esau and go, really? Birthright? Bowl of soup? That's stupid. God, help us to see the lies and the counterfeits and the cheap knockoffs that we're being confronted with every day. Help us to see them for what they are, Lord. Help us to see that they don't measure up to what you have for us, that you have a life that's full, Lord. Your word says that you didn't come, you you came to bring us life to the fullest. Lord, we want that full life. And so, Lord, we turn to you and we say, Lord, would you convince us of who we are in Christ? Would you show us and reveal to our heart that we've been crucified with you, that old self, those old desires have been crucified with you and that we are one in you and that you are in us. Burn that into our heart and into our spirit that we can walk out of here seeing things differently, clearly, honestly. Let us live different. Everyone in this room that you're making that prayer for yourself, just raise your hand. If you're in that room, this room and you're like, yep, that's me, I'm making that prayer, I want you to just raise your hand really quick. Everybody else's eyes are closed. Lord, I just pray over these that have their hands lifted, especially, Lord, that they'd be different, that they'd walk out of here different, Lord, with a different understanding that when things come at them, they'd literally be able to remember all it is is soup. It might smell good, it might look good, not as good as the good stuff that God has for me. Lord, let them see the truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name.